0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Hayward, California, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Hayward, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Hayward. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. I am your host, James Orr, and this is another class in the series on deal alchemy. Deal alchemy is the somewhat magical process, or seemingly magical process, where we move returns from one of the areas of return that we get with investment properties to more than one. And sometimes we're trading a couple for a few, or one to one, or but we're, we're really just moving returns around. And today's deal alchemy class is about converting cash flow to debt pay down. And you're like, what, wait a minute, James, I, most of us prefer to have cash flow. So why are we taking cash flow and are we and we're trading it in exchange for debt pay down? Well, because by doing so it gives us a higher return in both dollars and return on initial investment. So there's one reason why you might want to consider kind of moving the return from cash flow to debt pay down. Uh, So we're going to jump into it. This is part of the series of classes we're doing on deal alchemy. I think last week we talked about uh, improving cash flow. I think we did through lease options, if if I'm not mistaken. I think we did lease options last week where we uh, we used a, a new strategy and we changed how the returns got kind of moved around in the different areas. So Alchemy. For those that uh, don't know the definition, this is the uh, dictionary definition of alchemy, a seemingly magical process of transformation, creation, or combination. And really what we're talking about doing here is we're talking about magically moving the returns from the four different areas of returns plus the reserve return we get when we buy investment property. You've got appreciation, the tendency for property values to increase over time. You've got cash flow kind Of, like, you take all of your income from the property from rent and anything else you're doing with the property, you subtract out all of your expenses, including taxes, insurance, your mortgage payments, maintenance, more, uh, your property management like, all of those things, uh, vacancy all those things get subtracted out, and what you're left over with is cash flow. Then you've got debt pay down, the amount of, of the loan that you're paying down every single month on that particular property, and then you've got the tax benefits of owning the property, the cash flow from depreciation is what we call it. And then in addition to all of those, in order to prudently make an investment in rental property, we do need to have reserves. And so when we have reserves, we could take those reserves, we could set those aside. And because we're using them to make sure that we are able to maintain and own that property um, conservatively, then we can actually put the small return that we're earning on those reserves as part of the overall investment because you need the reserves in order to make the investment. Now we can actually include the return we're earning on those reserves as part of the overall return that we're earning. Okay. And you may have seen me kind of display this in this format where I talk about appreciation, the property value is going up, cash flow, which is all the income minus all the expenses, debt pay down, which is paying down the loan, the tax benefits or the cash flow from depreciation, and then plus the return you earn on reserves. And then we have a total in the middle. And we can have this visual, show both dollar amounts that we're earning, how many dollars in appreciation we earned, how many dollars in cash flow, how many dollars we paid down the loan, how many dollars we're getting from the tax benefits, and how many dollars we earned on the reserves. Or we could think of it in terms of the return on something, the return on our initial investment, or the return we're earning on equity, or the return we're earning on true net equity, like the equity we'd have after we we, uh, um, sell the property and pay all the expenses, like real estate commissions, um, closing costs. Capital gains taxes, depreciation recapture tax, like all of those things. When you subtract all those out, then we have what is left over true net equity, and we can calculate returns on those as well. So let's talk about moving cash flow to debt pay down. And you may be surprised as to what happens here. This is kind of interesting. So instead of choosing to emphasize cash flow on investment property, let's say you do a 15 year mortgage instead. If we had gotten a 30 year mortgage, our cash flow would have been better. The payment on a 30-year mortgage is usually lower than the payment on a 15-year mortgage for the borrowing the same amount. And you also get a slightly better interest rate when you do a 15-year loan versus doing a 30-year loan. But even with the improved interest rate, the payment is still going to be overall higher because you're paying off a certain dollar amount. You know, if you're buying a $400,000 property and you're putting 25% down you're paying off $300,000 worth of loan over a 30-year period or over a 15-year period, in order to pay it off over 15 years, your payment has to be higher in order for you to pay that thing off, okay? So what we're really talking about is worse cash flow when we move from a 30-year loan to a 15-year loan, but much better debt pay down, okay? So you're going to see that we're moving the return we're earning from cash flow into the debt pay down portion of that return quadrant. And we're looking at that and seeing how much of an impact that has. Now, the dollar amount for appreciation and and the tax benefits, the cash flow from depreciation, they stay the same. If you think about it, you're buying the same property in both situations, right? So if you're buying the same property, does the type of loan you get on the property impact how much in dollars the property goes up in value? No, if you buy a property, that property is going to go up whenever it goes up or down, you know, depending on what market you're in and what's going on in the marketplace. But in most cases, that property is going to go up the same amount, whether you have bought the property free and clear, or you bought the property with 100% financing, or you bought the property with 50% down or 80% down, or you got a 30-year loan or a 15-year loan, it doesn't matter. If you buy a $400,000 property, as an example, and it goes up 3%, that means that it went up $12,000. It doesn't matter what loan you had to do that, Okay. Now, in addition, when you buy a property, the price you pay originally after you subtract out the value for the land, the value of the building we can depreciate for residential properties over 27 and a half years. So again, that doesn't matter what type of loan you got or how much you put down. The amount you're earning from depreciation and specifically cash flow from depreciation stays the same. So it doesn't matter what loan type we got, the amount from appreciation and cash flow is going to stay exactly the same. Now, A higher mortgage payment, because you're getting a 15-year loan, than a 30-year loan, means that you should set aside more in reserves. Because when you want to think about your reserves, you're setting aside the money that you need to hold the property for a certain period of time. So for example, if we're setting aside six months of reserves by having a higher mortgage payment, we need to set aside six months of that higher mortgage payment rather than the six months of the lower mortgage payment we would have if we had put 30, uh, if we had decided to do a 30-year loan. Okay, So the higher mortgage payment means you need to set aside more for reserves. That ends up changing the amount you have in reserves and therefore the amount you are earning on the reserves. You know, if you have $10,000 in reserves versus $8,000, then the amount you're earning on those reserves actually has gone up a little bit. Okay, that just makes sense, right? Now, the dollar amount for cash flow, for debt pay down, and for the reserves changes, right? Our cash flow is actually going to go down a little bit. The amount we're paying down on the loan is going to go up a little bit. And the amount we're earning on reserves is going to go up a little bit. The dollar amount for the appreciation and cash flow from appreciation, they do not change at all when we switch from a 30-year loan to a 15-year loan. And I'll show you this visually here in a second. Now, more reserves also means that we have more in the denominator when we're calculating our return on investment calculations, okay? Because we count the reserves as something that we needed to invest in order to buy the property. So in order to go acquire property, we definitely need the down payment amount. We definitely need the closing costs. But what I'm telling you now is you also should set aside the reserves you need in order to prudently own that investment property. And by putting that reserve aside, then that should count as part of the amount of money you needed to make the investment in that rental property. So that needs to be included when we do our calculation for return on investment. Anyone who is using like someone else's spreadsheet, not the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet that automatically does this for you, but anyone using these other spreadsheets, you're analyzing your deals incorrectly. Another way of saying it is you're lying about your returns. If you think about it, if, if you're using someone else's spreadsheet and you're analyzing a deal and you're saying, look, I'm getting this return and you're not including the amount you need for reserves in your return on investment, you're basically saying, you know, Either number, either one of two things happening. Number one is you're actually saying that you can make this investment without the reserves, which you cannot. I mean, the lender is going to require reserves, so that's that should tell you something that they're going to require it if you go do the thing, and and that you you think that you can make this investment safely without having some money set aside for reserves in case. There is any type of vacancy, or you do need to make some repairs on the property, or there is some CapEx or something like that. So we all know that you need reserves. So if you're not saying that you have reserves in here, then you're lying about your return. So you have to include the reserves on there in order to make a true calculation of what your return on investment is. Any Doing it any other way is lying about your return. It's inflating your return. It's the return you tell at a cocktail party when you want to brag about how you're doing in your real estate investments, right? I mean, that's what you're doing. You're going, to, you're going to tell your friends, look, you know, I put no money in this deal. So I'm getting an infinite return on my investment. There is no way you can have no money in a deal because you have to have reserves. So you're always going to have something in the denominator, okay? All right, enough of that little side tangent there. Um, so what having more reserves means that you have more investments in your return on investment calculations, that means it's going to be a smaller overall return on investment for the same dollar amount. So in other words, the appreciation dollar amount, if it's $12,000 that the property went up in value, and now we divide by the return on investment, the investment part of that, if you have to have more in reserves, that means that the overall return on investment, the $12,000 divided by what you had to put into the deal is going to be smaller when we increase our reserves, and we increase our reserves because we went to a 15 year loan versus a 30 year loan, which means that our monthly payment is gonna be higher. Okay, so let's look at this visually and see what's going on here. So, this is where we have the traditional rental. We have this amount in appreciation. We've assumed it's $11,011 per year. Cash flow is $2,330 in the first year. The amount you pay down the loan is $2,779. The tax benefits from the cash flow from depreciation is $1,700. Okay, So these four plus the amount you're earning on 12 months of reserves at 8% is $2,203. So the total amount you're earning is $20,023. That's your return by buying this property in the first year. Now, by going and converting this from a, and this is a 30-year loan, by going and converting this 30-year loan to a 15-year loan, we're going to change the return from cash flow. Your cash flow is actually going to go down a lot, and your debt pay down is going to go up a lot. However, the appreciation dollar and the tax benefit dollar are going to stay the same, and the reserves are also going to change because we need to have more reserves. Okay? So when we do that, it looks like this, the 15-year mortgage on the right. So appreciation is the same. The amount of cash flow went from $2,330 positive, you know, about $200 a month, to now it's negative $4,024. And you're thinking to yourself, "James, that's crazy. You know, I went, you know, almost $6,400 worse by doing this 15-year mortgage." Yeah, you definitely did. But where did that return go? It went from cash flow down to debt pay down. And it's you'll notice it's not one to one. It's not like You move $6,400 down in one spot. So you obviously go up $6,400 in another spot. It is not a one-to-one correlation. You don't get $1 by moving it from one spot to another. Sometimes it's a lot more. Sometimes it's less, okay? So you got to go and look at the math and see what happened here. So now we went from earning $2,779 paying down the loan. So now we're paying down $10,551. Just by changing from a thirty-year loan to a fifteen-year loan, and the slight changes that are uh, related to that, the the one change that's probably most predominant is the fact that your interest rate is a little bit better on a fifteen-year mortgage than on a thirty-year mortgage. Okay, so now the tax benefits also stay the same. They're both seventeen hundred, and because we had to increase our reserves, we went from earning twenty-two hundred three to earning twenty-seven sixty-two. Okay. So that's about $500 more. Now, overall, the return went from $20,000, $23 for the entire thing, all five areas of return when you had the 30-year traditional rental. Now it's going to be $22,000 even. So you increase your overall return by about $2,000 just by changing the loan. But the characteristics of the investment are very different, right? Is, is this a... When we talk about the return quadrants a lot of times, we talk about the two top ones tend to be market specific, market dependent, and they tend to be more speculative in nature. Do we really know that a property is definitely going up in value next year? No, we're speculating that we're going to see appreciation on the property. and if you came to the class yesterday, watched the video yesterday, I went through all the data for the last one hundred and thirty three years showing you what the chances are of you seeing positive appreciation in the marketplace, okay so the top, the top two quadrants are speculative. We don't really know what appreciation is going to be. We're speculating that it is going to be going up in value. It could go down. It could stay the same. It could go up. It could go up more than what we're estimating. It could go down more than what we're estimating. Really, we don't know. It's speculation. The same thing is true for cash flow. And a lot of people, you know, especially newer investors, want to argue with me. They're like, "No, cash flow is fixed. I know the rent I'm getting on my property, and I know the amount of my expenses." And I'm telling you, you do not. Rents change over time. Sometimes rents go up. Most of the time rents go up. However, rents can go down. You could have gotten really lucky and got really high rent last year. And this year, because your tenant had to move out, you had a vacancy, you know, uh, your, your tenant got evicted right between Thanksgiving and Christmas and you tried to re-rent the property between Thanksgiving and Christmas and you did not get the rent you thought you were gonna get and now rents are lower. Or there were unexpected repairs on the property. And instead of having 10% set aside for maintenance, you needed 20% set aside for this year. Cash flow is speculative as well. Okay. So these two top ones are more speculative in nature. The two bottom ones are more certain in nature. The debt pay down one is a contract between you and the lender. If you make the payments as agreed, you get this return. It is not dependent on what the market does. The property values can go up and down. It doesn't matter. You're getting that debt pay down. Your cash flow can go up or down. It doesn't matter. You're getting this debt pay down return. So the bottom ones are more certain, less speculative in nature. In some cases, we would say they're as close to being guaranteed in quotes as you can get without them being guaranteed. Okay. The tax benefit one, unless they change tax code and they change how depreciation works. And they don't allow you to have the retroactive thing that you had, the grandfather you in on any properties bought before this date, unless they change that too, you're getting this tax benefit. Okay, that's a certainty based on tax code. So these two bottom ones are less certain. So what we just did by going from a 30 year loan to a 15 year loan is we moved away from more speculative returns to more certain returns. Now, sure, the cash flow could still change right? This number can still change. You can get a little better and get a little worse, but this number is now more certain. So we've moved some of our return to being more certain than before. Okay. And the return on reserves, those are somewhat speculative as well, depending on what you're investing in, right? We've assumed you're earning 8% return on the the reserves that you have. And that's you assuming that you're investing in whatever you want. In most cases, I think a lot of folks are going to invest in some type of index fund and have some type of Ratio where they're going to keep a certain amount liquid in savings and then a certain amount in addition in backup reserves, where if they had to access it, they have the money available and that's how you're earning that return. Okay, so if we look at those returns, that's what happens in terms of dollars. Now let's look at it in terms of what the percentage return on investment was. So before the appreciation return was 8.97% return on investment, we took this 12 or 11,000. $11, and we divided it by the amount of investment we needed to make, including the reserves, in order to get that dollar amount. And so it's 8.97%. The return from cash flow was 1.8%. The return from paying down the loan was 2.29%. The return from the tax benefits, the cash flow from depreciation, was 1.38, and the return on your reserves was 1.79. For a total return on investment with 12 months of reserves, that's what R12 is. Is 16.24%. That's for the 30 year loan. Now, when we go to the 15 year loan, the return from appreciation and tax benefits, they do change, even though the dollar amount is the same. The dollar amount is still that 11,000 or the 1,700. But because the amount we have as our investment, we increased our reserves. So that amount went up. The overall return actually went down a little bit. So appreciation went from 8.97. To now eight point four nine, it dropped a little bit. Not because we're earning less in dollars. In fact, we're earning the same in this case. But overall, on all of returns, we're earning a little bit more. But because the amount we had to invest increased the tiniest bit from that extra reserves. Okay, so the overall appreciation weight went down a little bit. Cash flow went down a lot because we converted that thirty-year loan to the fifteen-year loan. Now we're negative three point two three. The debt pay down return went from 2.29 way up to 8.21. And the tax benefit one dropped just the little tiniest bit because of those extra reserves. And the amount we earned on reserves went from 1.79 to 2.13. So the overall return on investment by changing from a 30-year loan to a 15-year loan went from 16.24 to 16.91. We increased our overall return on investment, even though we increased our investment amount a little bit by adding the additional reserves, by going from a 30-year loan to a 15-year loan. And that is why, even though the overwhelming majority of real estate investors, especially newer investors, are hyper-focused in on cash flow, and I think it's partially because they believe that that's what's going to get them to financial independence fastest, when that may not exactly be true we'll talk about this in another class but the idea is they think that they're going to use the cash flow in order to be fi when in fact some of the properties that they're going to own will probably be their cash flow properties but other ones are going to be used as rocket boosters to get higher returns then you're going to either sell or refinance or in other words get rid of those use that money in order to then pay off other properties that tends to be one of the faster ways to achieve financial independence using real estate. But it's a strategy that if you're not looking really far ahead and saying, okay, these are the properties I know I'm going to keep. They're the ones I'm going to own in, uh, in retirement that I'm going to be using to fund my retirement with their cash flow. These are the ones that I really just need to maximize the return with because I really what I want to end up doing with these is sell them off to then pay off the other properties to get cash flow. So you need both. In most cases, unless you're just willing to, you know, buy the properties you need and let the cash flow increase over a long enough period of time. But it's faster for you to do the other strategy where you sell off some properties and you end up paying off other ones. And if you've come to some of the classes where we talk about the comparing the strategies, you know, in the 304 markets across the US where we've done the analysis on all these, then you'll see that sometimes it's better to use those more aggressive payoff strategies later on, which means the rocket booster, the improved overall return tends to be better. And that could be an example here, okay? Now, sure, you do need to account for you know the negative cash flow and how you're going to fund that negative cash flow and whether you're thinking about it as an investment or you're thinking about it as setting it aside. Yes, there's all those discussions which we talk about in other classes, okay? All right. I just want to show you what the difference was in the amounts you needed for reserves. So this shows you the total amount you needed for your investment, when you're talking about return on investment. So when we do the traditional rentals, $134,000 in order to buy this property or one hundred forty-one, dollars So an increase by about $7,500 or so, $7,600 is what the difference was that you needed to have in reserves uh, to go from that 30-year loan to the 15-year loan, okay? And then this just breaks down where the returns come from. It's just the same numbers um, that we had before where it's just showing you the values um, doing that. And then this is your return on investment numbers to kind of give you an idea of what those are. All right. So in conclusion, we can utilize deal alchemy to modify where the returns are coming from. We can move the returns around. We could say, hey, let's give up some appreciation in order to have improved cash flow, like we talked with lease options. Or we could say stuff like, let's give up some cash flow in order to improve debt pay down and improve our overall return. That's what we covered today. And there's other variations to this which we'll cover in future classes on deal outcome. One example, the one that we did today is changing the term of the loan, 30-year mortgage to a 15-year mortgage to see how that changes things. And moving returns is not always a 1 to 1 change. You don't get a 1% improvement in debt pay down in exchange for giving up 1% in cash flow. Sometimes it's more than 1, sometimes it's less than 1. And reminder, returns are different. They have different characteristics. Some are speculative. Some are more certain. Some are cash now, which is the right-hand side of the quadrant. Some are cash later, which is the left-hand side of the quadrant. So they have different characteristics, which changes how the overall investment acts. One of the things that I don't think a lot of people realize, especially people coming in new to real estate investing, is that not all real estate investments are the same. And that you can change how you approach the investment and it changes, absolutely changes how the returns how the returns are balanced, like where they are. Is this more of a speculative play? Is this more of a certainty play? Is this more of a cash now play? Is this more of a cash later play? And that not if you go out there and you say, I made a real estate investment, your risk characteristics of making that deal can be very, very different than someone else doing a different deal, even though you're both buying single family homes. All right. So deal alchemy can do more than just change the numbers. It can change the characteristics of the investment. And sometimes this changes more than just the returns. Sometimes it somewhat indirectly can impact the investment in the return on investment calculation like we saw with reserves here. All right, that's all I got. Hope you guys enjoyed the class. This has been James Orr. Have a great weekend, everybody. It's Friday, and uh, we will see you all on Monday. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up, and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates. Cash flow on rental properties in Hayward is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today. If you're a real estate agent, lender, or professional in Hayward that wants to help our real estate investor listeners, consider reaching out to learn about collaboration opportunities with this podcast. We'd love to add more value to our listeners by having you assist our investors buy, sell, and finance their real estate investments. See the show notes to schedule a call to discuss collaboration opportunities.